Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, this week, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Leni Riefenstahl, uh, Hitler's favoured filmmaker and director, and the um, filmmaker behind the two most important Nazi propaganda films of the period, Olympia, um, the film of the Berlin Olympics of 1936, and Triumph of the Will, which was the film of um, Hitler's Nuremberg rally. Um, the reason why I want to talk about Leni Riefenstahl, uh, well, there are several reasons, really. Firstly, um, there are all sorts of interesting debates surrounding her um, about the the limits of um, artistic integrity and the, the role of the propagandist and how these things become, uh, in her case, quite deliberately uh, blurred. Um, the um, influence she had uh, over... Um, cinematography and filmmaking conventions throughout the, the 20th century, and also the extent to which um, artists are culpable in the crimes of their subjects. And in Leni Riefenstahl's case, um, the evidence that she became deeply involved in crimes um, was um, pretty incontrovertible uh, by the end of the war, um, as she had used, as we'll, we'll explore, um, Gypsy and Sinti um, prisoners uh, to make her film Tiefland. Um, she escaped uh, punishment at Nuremberg, though uh, it was um, touch and go for a while as to whether she would she would face justice. And then throughout the rest of her life, uh, obviously distanced herself from Nazism and uh, proclaimed ignorance and continued uh, to um, work as a photographer and filmmaker um, in places um, such as Africa where she um, developed a fascination with the physicality of, um, of African men and women and she managed to, um, in part, uh, rehabilitate herself from Nazism, but her association with it never really went away. So she came to, pres- to prominence as an actress in the mid to late 1920s and early 1930s, 
Um, when Adolf Hitler saw the film The Blue Light, which is a um, adaptation of a Grimm's folk tale, uh, Grimm Brothers, a Brothers Grimm, big pun, folk tale, about a girl who finds a uh, in a, a uh, mystical cave of blue crystals in the mountainside, uh, which emits a strange and mystical glow. He um, adored the film and thought that she was the epitome of German uh, maidenhood. Why did he think this? Because the character she portrays in the film is a good, honest, rural peasant girl, um, not corrupted in any way by um, the sins of modernity and the, uh, uh, communal, the community nearby her, um, the, the uh, residents of the small village where she lives are, you know, inherently more kind of corrupt and materialistic, whereas uh, the uh, the girl in the film, Junta, is um, a character who lives in isolation and therefore is more um, pure in Hitler's eyes, you know, more close to the spirit of, uh, of Germany uh, and has a, a stronger relationship with the countryside. This is all kind of part of uh, Hitler's kind of Nordic uh, folk um, mythology, um, and these, these notions um, that he and people like Alfred Rosenberg uh, cooked up between them um, to explain the relationship between blood and blood and blood and soil. So he was going to he was going to like that representation of German femininity, and she was synonymous with a type of film, particularly Germanic um, genre of film called the Berg film or mountain films, which often featured, as you would imagine, uh, narratives surrounding mountaineers and their struggle to conquer nature. And once again, this was immensely appealing to um, Hitler who looked upon it as really a, um, the uh, triumph of of uh, triumph of, of the individual uh, the triumph of the will um, and Hitler projected his own kind of particular fantasies about himself onto such things the the great man overcoming impossible odds by the time she'd come to um, act in the uh, the blue light. Uh, not only had she become a accomplished actress, but also tried a hand at screenwriting and directing, and actually took all three roles when she um, produced the, the the Blue Light. So she was actress, writer, and director. One of her co-writers, Carl Mayer, was the uh, screenwriter of uh, the uh, epic German expressionist horror, uh, The Cabinet of Dr Caligari. Um, considered to be one of the kind of the the foundation stones of the modern horror genre, and she he was obviously Jewish and he was um, denounced by uh, Riefenstahl to the Nazis in 1933 and was sort of forced to flee to Britain, where he um, became a, a leading figure in the British film industry until his death in 1944. Um, so it gives you um, an, a, an impression already um, by 1933 of uh, where her loyalties stood. Both Riefenstahl and Hitler became mutual admirers of one another roughly at about the same time. Um, she had begun to read Mein Kampf when she was making The Blue Light, and he subsequently saw The Blue Light and thought it was uh, the, the greatest film he'd ever seen, uh, perhaps eclipsing even his normal favourite of King Kong. Um, he um, 
she read Mein Kampf and saw him as a a visionary figure who could save Germany. And from 1932 onwards, she considered herself to be a national socialist. And despite Hitler's pretensions as a kind of patron of the arts and a pillar of the you know German culture, it was Leni Riefenstahl that initiated the first meeting with Hitler. Now the Nazis had um, a strange, in many ways, relationship with film. Um, as anyone that's done GCSE or A-level um, Nazi Germany will know, the, um, the, the Ministry of um, Propaganda and Public Enlightenment under uh, Joseph Goebbels, well, it's Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, I'm not sure which way around it goes, um, check it, um, the, the Ministry under and, and, and Goebbels had a, obviously a, a tight reign over all artistic production within the Third Reich, and they were particularly interested in the power of cinema. The only problem was was that much German Nazi propaganda uh, through the means of cinema was um, of little interest to the general public. Uh, The uh, population, by and large, in Nazi Germany, the cinema-going population, as with everywhere else, enjoyed... um, romances, intrigues, comedies, and were less inclined to um, pay to see uh, official uh, government propaganda. And so uh, after a few abortive attempts, the um, the Goebbels realised that really um, seeding uh, comedies and romances with uh, subtle political messages was a better way of communicating Nazi party values. But the extent to which these films really did anything to change popular opinions is very questionable indeed. However, Hitler first gave uh, Leni Riefenstahl um, the opportunity to make a film about the Nazi party's fifth rally. The film was called Victory of Faith, and it impressed Hitler so much um, that he offered um, her a further contract to film Triumph of the Will. Um, she was keen to really create Tiefland, which was the cinematic uh, version of a, the famous opera. Um, but Hitler really, um, really was insistent that uh, Triumph of the Will should be her next project, and he offered to fund Tiefland um, if she would make Triumph of the Will. There are some interesting critiques of Triumph of the Will written. Um, Susan Sontag, for anyone that's interested in this, Susan Sontag's writing on the film is is really, really good. And um, she, what she argues is the opening scene of Triumph of the Will sees um, Hitler uh, in, a, I think, a, a, a twin-engine Dornier uh, plane descending from the clouds, descending and that the shadow of the plane passes over the sleepy town of Nuremberg, first thing in the morning. And there is something almost um, godlike in the cinematography of a a kind of a a prophet or an angel or a saviour or a redeemer descending from the heavens. And the first... I mean, it's a terribly boring film, by the way. Don't watch it. It's unfathomably tedious. Uh, You won't become a Nazi by watching it. You'll, you know, die, die of mental inertia. But anyway... The uh, in, in the early scenes of the uh, the kind of the idyll that is Germany, the quiet, the uh, at, at dawn, and then we see the huge, huge camp of um, Nazi uh, party and Hitler youth visitors to the um, 
uh, Nuremberg rally and the, the games, uh, the really aggressive, uh, dominant uh, sort of fighting games that the, the boys participate in. Um, and then there are hours and hours of rallies and speeches um, which show, OK, the scale of the, of the Nuremberg rallies. And much of it is uh, dreary formalities of... Um, different uh, elements of the Nazi party, including sort of uh, agrarian workers from Kaiserstuhl um, addressing, uh, ad- addressing the, um, the rally. Um, the, the bit where Hitler does any, uh, any making of speeches is, um, is you have to wait a long time into the film before you get to that. So it's not the kind of thing that would have captivated audiences, and really these were just vanity projects for Hitler to enjoy himself. Um, Hitler had, was not uh, you know, embarrassed by these, these projects at all and didn't see any problem with um, basking in his own glory. He had at um, the, uh, the Berghof uh, over Berchtesgaden a, a cinema um, for his guests, and much of his routine uh, involved staying up late, showing people films, um, and then you know, sleeping in and doing comparatively little the next day. So these, his, his relationship with film was a very strong one, and um, he he viewed uh, cinema as and as being a kind of an integral part of his lifestyle. She made a third film at the Nuremberg Rally's Day of Freedom, which was really uh, to focus on the German army, and that was the uh, the year 1935 when Hitler made his um, Nuremberg Laws, which uh, banned um, race, um, interracial marriages between Aryans and Jews among a number of uh, other restrictions on Jewish, uh, Jewish freedoms. So this raises the obvious ethical question um, as to whether a filmmaker who is um, participating on some level with uh, events such as um, the Nuremberg rallies and the Nuremberg, where the Nuremberg laws are announced is, is in some way um, culpable, is in some way um, morally um, associated uh, with the with these events, and I mean, as we know later on, she was far more deeply implicated with the crimes of the Nazis. But at this stage, she has um, a characteristic ability to try to to be able to keep um, the ugly uh, uh, the ugly sides of Nazism. I mean, it's all pretty ugly, but the uh, ugliest sides of Nazism at arm's length. And she manages to maintain this throughout much of her career, even when she is um, placed under arrest by the Americans in 1945. Her 1936... A lot can happen in the next Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Film Olympia um, did set some important technical standards for filmmaking throughout much of the rest of the century and has been hailed as a triumph by filmmakers um, throughout the the post-war era. Um, The attempt to associate uh, Nazism with with classical history was very important to Hitler and the Nazis when uh, considering the Olympics um, and the, the, obviously the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympiad, um, you know, a brief look at the architecture of Nazi Germany sees um, this kind of return to neoclassicism with um, um, fora and columns and all that sort of thing, and the um, imperial um, uh, eagle of the Third Reich uh, looks remarkably similar to that of uh, a Roman legion. Um, having the Hitler salute is a, uh, a, re- a reference to Julius Caesar. And um, therefore, part of the um, part of this attempt to associate um, the uh, Olympic, the Nazism, with you know that great bygone classical civilization, and imply that it was like the next incarnation thereof, um, was um, Lenny Riefenstahl's decision to uh, start the filmmaking in Greece, where the first Olympics began, and to kind of try to make a, a connection between the first uh, um, the first Olympiad and the, um, the the Olympiad of the reborn Germany, and you know, in theory, the, the reborn Europe too. So it can't be seen as a plain and neutral piece of um, sports uh, reportage. It's a, a complex and subtle piece of propaganda. Um, some might argue, in fact, not too subtle. Closer to the outbreak of the Second World War, um, Riefenstahl had become much closer to Hitler, and she uh, vigorously defended him on a trip to America, during which time Kristallnacht had happened. And she was uh, quick to suggest that Hitler had uh, no knowledge of it, and this was uh, a, a spontaneous act from below and nothing to do with uh, with Hitler. And she was so familiar with him and so close to him that she had a number of privileges of access that uh, others didn't have. Normally, um, Hitler spent a lot of time outside Berlin, outside um, the Reich Chancellery, and was inaccessible to many, most tiers of party functionaries. If he was at the Berghof, then um, it was um, a, an honour, a privilege, uh, an, an indication of one's status within um, the, um, the hierarchies of Nazism 
to be invited, and she had fairly regular access to him, so much so that she found herself um, unpopular with other uh, chief Nazi uh, lieutenants of Hitler, um, people such as Goering and Goebbels, particularly Goebbels because he um, was the uh, Reich Minister for uh, Propaganda and Public Enlightenment, and um, she, he, he felt that really she fell within under his his remit, and I, I think he probably tried it on with her as well. But Goebbels, for a kind of a a short and rather unattractive man, um, or with a a withered leg, um, had a, a kind of quite an impressive series of uh, romant- romantic dalliances from away from his wife Magda. Following the invasion of Poland. Uh, Lenny Riefenstahl went to um, uh, went, went along with the army to uh, film the occupation of Poland, and um, in sort of acting out the fantasy, went in sort of uh, Wehrmacht uniform uh, with a pistol at her side. Um, there is some debate over what happened. Um, she claims to have witnessed a mass execution um, and attempted to intervene to stop it, but was held back by uh, German soldiers. Um, there are there is a photo of her appearing uh, uh, at around the time, or perhaps even on that day, appearing to be quite upset and traumatised over what she's seen. And following the um, following uh, her visit to um, Poland and her return, she makes no further triumphs of the will or Olympias. Instead, she focuses on on uh, fictional narratives. What we can draw from that is uh, probably conjecture. Is it entirely possible that the um, anti-Semite and Nazi supporter Leni Riefenstahl went to Germany, went to beg pardon, Poland, saw things which were unimaginably horrific, and had a, a crisis of conscience? Yes, it's entirely possible that that happened. It doesn't stop her later on from engaging in war crimes herself. So we have somebody with a very fluid notion of right and wrong when it comes to um, sort of uh, oppressed peoples and uh, captive peoples. Uh, some things trouble her, some things don't. And that's um, something that you can see in a great, a great many of um, Hitler's inner circle. There are some fascinating uh, revelations, if you can call them that, within uh, the accounts of Rudolf Hess, shortly before he was executed, he was the commandant of Auschwitz, talking about um, his own moral culpability and uh, saying that, yes, he deserved to be executed, and on reflection, what he'd done was a pretty terrible thing. Um, This is possibly the kind of thing one says before one goes to the gallows, I don't know. Um... But it's it's on some level it's an interesting revelation, and on others it's difficult to take seriously given the context and knowing what Hurst inevitably knew was going to happen to him. Perhaps he's trying to bargain his way out of it, or putting some kind of um, um, some kind of um, tight last shred of morality uh, to rest. Um, but it shows us this kind of conflicted nature, despite what she saw in Poland. It didn't change or affect her affections for Hitler. And again, it's entirely possible that she um, created a kind of a, uh, a barrier between um, 
the the crimes of the of the regime and Hitler himself. Um, this is this is a, quite a common way for people to think about uh, the violent dictators that that rule them. So she wrote to him on the fourteenth of June, nineteen forty, uh, when Paris when France had fallen, um, and and said, with indescribable joy, deeply moved and filled with burning gratitude, we share with you my furor, your and Germany's greatest victory, the entry of German troops into Paris. You exceed anything human imagination has the power to conceive, achieving deeds without parallels in the history of mankind. How can we ever thank you? Now, this is a, obviously quite, quite a gushing message, but an interesting one nonetheless, because it sheds light onto probably what a lot of German people were thinking at the time, that um, Germany had won a quick war that was designed to um, readdress the imbalance of the Treaty of Versailles, um, sort out you know, Europe's remaining problems and establish Germany's great power and now the war is over, thank goodness for that the British had been taught a salutary lesson the French had been crushed and uh, Hitler had done in six weeks what it had taken the Kaiser four years to try and achieve in 1942, she began to film uh, the uh, movie that she'd wanted to make all her career, Tiefland, and she used captive Roma and Sinti uh, peoples from the concentration camp uh, Salzburg. They were used as um, pretty much slave labour on the film, used as uh, labourers and then as extras in the film, and then were sent back to the camp at Salzburg and later shipped to Auschwitz and murdered in 1943. Now, the fascinating thing about uh, Riefenstahl is that she later claims that they survived the war, that and by her um, patronage they survived the war, and claims to have met them after the war, which, um, if you have a look at the, um, the the official Third Reich paperwork showing where they were shipped and when they were executed, is um, a kind of a, a level of, um, of self-delusion and fantasy that speaks volumes about um, sort of human, uh, human guilt and um, the, the, the moral... Um, the, the, the ability and the desire to escape from moral culpability... When a filmmaker made uh, assertions about um, Riefenstahl's uh, culpability, she sued and lost, which again gives us an interesting legal basis on which to, to judge her. And um, the, the issue of the fate of the Roma in the Sinti didn't go away. In 2002, when she was 100 years old, the uh, Roma in Sinti took her to court over statements that she'd made denying that the Roma and Sinti had been persecuted. Um, obviously, Holocaust denial is a, a criminal offence in Germany and Austria, and she was forced to recount and say, yes, she, had, um, she regretted what she'd said and accepted that they had died in large numbers. And it was fitting that she was um, arrested by a filmmaker, uh, Bud Schulberg, who uh, worked for John Ford's documentary unit, um, arrested uh, Riefenstahl. He, he was also in the OSS, the uh, foreman of the CIA, at Kitzbühel. Um, and he was astounded by her um, lack of any kind of, um, any kind of uh, moral culpability. He said that, uh, he, and I quote, she gave me the usual song and dance. She said, of course, you know, I'm really so misunderstood. I'm not political. 
at the Nuremberg trials. She claimed to have had a fascination with um, the the Nazis, but have, to have had no further affiliation with them. Um, she was acquitted four times between 1945 and 1948. So throughout that t- that period, um, she was um, largely discredited and humiliated and forced to live in all sorts of uh, prison camps and under house arrest. And um, the association of her and the Nazis uh, lasted really until uh, the day she died, uh, though she did win uh, over 50 libel cases which uh, were from people suggesting that she had been a Nazi or a member of the, the Third Reich or um, a, uh, an integral part of the, the Holocaust. Fortunately, under British law, you can't libel the dead, so uh, we can say what we like today. Um, the extent of her um, moral um, responsibility, the extent of her guilt, the extent to which she was um, a part of the uh, process of the destruction of the Jews, the war and the other crimes of the Third Reich, um, is, is a moot one, um, and one which uh, I guess it's for, for each of us to, to decide upon. But certainly uh, she benefited um, in terms of her career, in terms of her ability to make films, um, f- particularly in the issue of Tiefland, um, from the, the Holocaust, and bears a, a profound guilt uh, in the uh, cases of the, uh, the Roma and the Sinti that were shipped off to Auschwitz. So the uh, interesting thing for our purposes, particularly if you're studying this at A-level, are those, those blurred lines between participation, uh, between the, the bystander role, um, that there are uh, all sorts of um, grey areas. Now, normally, when you're writing an essay, these grey areas are really frightening and you don't want to go there because um, they get confusing and we say all sorts of things that are uh, going to lose us marks and that kind of thing. However, in this instance, there is something really important. Um, there are all sorts of op- all sorts of ways of exploring these moral ambiguities and um, discussing the the extent of guilt, the extent of participation, the extent of culpability, and that will actually, um, for your marks, do you a lot of good. But um, I'll be putting something on the explaining history video cast on this very subject a little later on this week. So check that out. You can find that on the Explaining History homepage. Now, interestingly, while we're talking about the Holocaust, uh, the long-awaited genocidal century should be with us in a week or so. I've just received the manuscript from the brilliant Julia Routledge, and that will be um, on the Explaining History homepage and on Amazon within the next week or two. So check it out. Thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.